This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. We're looking today at the, uh, the famous passage on Ask, Seek and Knock uh, and talking about what that says to us about prayer. Now, I've talked about prayer uh, quite a bit recently. Um, my, I think my last preach was on prayer from Ezra and Nehemiah when we were in this series on return and rebuild as we talk about what it looks like to come back together as a church. And for those who were there at the Church Together night uh, a couple of Wednesdays ago, I also talked about prayer um, uh, again as part of this process as we're coming back. Um, and I, you know, I just find that actually the more, the more I look into this topic, the more, is, the more there is to say on this topic. We could preach on, on prayer um, for the whole year. And this passage, Ask, Seek and Knock, is richly instructive on prayer. So there's lots of angles we could take here. We could talk about what it teaches us about how to pray. And at a top level, I do want to do that. I think every time I've talked about prayer, if I had to say there's one thing that I would love for us to come away with, it would be for us to be stirred, whether that's challenged or inspired, to pray more. Um, but I also, you know, the main thing I always pray for when I'm preparing a preach um, is that God would give me a timely word for this moment because he's always speaking to us. He, always, he has something specific to say to us in this moment. And uh, I, I categorically believe, and I've said this quite a few times, I think, in different settings, that God, has, God is in this season. He's in all seasons. He's not been surprised by COVID. And he's part of this rebuild and this return process. And I don't think, I, I, you know, I really hope in my heart, but I really don't believe that he wants us to come back the same as we went away, and I think prayer is going to have to be a big part of this, and I think that word from, from Tara speaking into that, I do, I do feel like there's a season change, um, and I really want it. Um, and, you know, my, my, I would say my, uh, the, the way that I tend to pe- preach is, to, is, is often to like, preach to myself, I think, so, you know, I'd love it if I could preach more from the experience of all my wisdom, um, but I just don't have that much, I'm sorry. So I tend to just preach to myself. And, and these are the things I'm preaching to myself. And to that end, I, I, you know, I, I don't know whether I've really got the wisdom to talk about what difference I'm talking about with regards to prayer today. But I, I'm asking God that we would be different in prayer as a church. Not just after today, sure, I want, I want, I want to see that. But like, if we are to look different coming back as a church, prayer is going to be fundamental to it. It's not just, and prayer will be an element of it. If it doesn't happen through prayer, it won't happen differently and we'll find ourselves coming back the same that we were and I don't want that so that's really what I'm speaking into um, today let's see how that goes Uh, so the way I'm going to do this I'm going to give I've got a little challenge for us uh, and then some big promises to hook on Uh, and I've got lots of scripture as well so the word is interpreted by the word so I've cut all my jokes sorry Andy Andrew's praying about that I'm sorry I'll tell you them later um uh, and, and most quotes from other people. And I think sometimes, when, you go, when you hear a lot of scripture, I, I find sometimes there is this inaccessibility sometimes the first time we hear scripture just because it's so rich and because we're so not faced towards it. So I'm going to pray in a second that even though there's a lot of scripture today, we, hit, we managed to hit those messages on our hearts from, from those various scriptures. But first of all, let me, let me read um, our, our core scripture, which is in Matthew 7, from verse 7. Uh, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. 
Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God, you are a good Father. You are a good Father, and you have good gifts for us, and we want to receive those today. So, Lord, I, I just pray as we, as we push into asking, seeking, and knocking that we would not be unchanged from this. We want to be inspired and challenged to pray, but much more than that, we want to have fundamental heart change to be in line with what it is you're doing in this season. And I particularly pray for all the scriptures we're going to go through today. I just pray, Lord, give us a supernatural ability to receive those scriptures straight into our hearts. I want your scripture to do the heavy lifting, Lord, as, as, as we press into this together. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the, the, those three things I said I was going to go through. I, I'm going to start with this little challenge, uh, which I've named this section, What Do We Want and What Do We Need? Okay, What Do We Want and What Do We Need? What do we want? I mean, there's so many angles, so many different directions you could take this in. What do we want? I, I, I often think, and we're obviously talking about prayer here, what, what do we want? I, I think we don't know the answer a lot of the times um, to what we want. And diving into our passage, the first thing that struck me when I was preparing for this and just you know, prayerfully reading through this scripture is, um, why isn't Jesus more specific at this point about what to ask for? Because on the face of it, he just offers us the ability to ask for anything and that we will receive it. But we know that he's not, you know, we know there are some caveats there, right? We know that Jesus hasn't gone through the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, this really high bar life for disciples, and then just said, oh, and also, I forgot to mention, I'm like a genie, and you can ask me literally anything you want, and I will grant your wishes to you. So we know there are some caveats about what it is that he's calling us to ask him. And if we're told, in, in order to, if we're told to ask in order to receive, and that is part of this message of the Sermon on the Mount, he's made it part of this, this message of discipleship, and we know that that doesn't mean for literally anything that we could possibly think of to ask for, then we must know what it is that we should be asking for or are called to ask for or encouraged to or would be better to ask for. So what does the Bible tell us to ask for? Well, at a top level, everything. Okay, so in some ways helpful. We are told to pray for everything. In all circumstances, in all situations, we are to pray. So we are called to pray for absolutely everything. But the reality is we find that a lot of the time we aren't praying for everything. We find there's a lot of circumstances, a lot of situations in our lives where we don't pray for things. And there are various reasons for that, I'm sure. But to go back to that question of what is it we want, what we do pray for does tend to reveal the answer to that question. What is it we want? If you think about the things that you pray for, that does in some way open up your eyes to what it is you focused for and what you want. And I wonder if we tend to pray, I know, you know, observing again, preaching to myself, often our prayer lives can tend towards praying for things that aren't primarily what we might want to be praying for, or at least praying for things not in the way that he wants us to pray for them. And I'll bear with me as we go through this. So just earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, we've had this bit in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, where Jesus says, do not worry about anything. Do not worry about what you will wear, where you will live what you will eat. I'll provide all these things for you. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and these things will be given to you. Now, these things are passing, right? They are temporal. They are things of this earth that we are not going to take with them. We're not going to take our clothes with them or our food with us as well. We are called to pray for these things, okay? And at this, I'm probably going to keep saying this throughout just to make sure that no one misunderstands me. We are called to pray for these things. We're called to pray for all things. Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's told us for Lord's Prayer, and as part of that, he says, he teaches us to pray, gives us this day our daily bread. So he is calling us to pray for these things that are passing. But I wonder if sometimes our prayer lives focus too much 
on these things that are temporal of this earth, these things that we are not going to be taking with us, or we're praying about these things in a way that is driving them, us more into them and less into him regards our desires. An example for me, which I think I have given before in a preach, actually, was the year before we came to Cheltenham, I was uh, uh, waiting to get a job here, which I've, I've got, and it's, it's easier to say this on the other side of having got that job, but throughout that year, I reckon 50, 60, 70% for a whole year of my prayer life was asking for that job. Now, there's nothing wrong in praying for our jobs, and there's nothing wrong in me praying for that job, but actually, as I reflect, I was just so desperate for that job for me. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't in a wider way. And we'll talk about how we can pray about different things in this wider context. But it really just drove me into being desperate for that thing that I don't get to take with me when it comes to heaven. I will get lots of opportunities through my job. I have lots of opportunities to bring glory to God's name. But that wasn't primarily what I was praying for. And we can find ourselves stuck in praying for these things that are temporal. And again, I'm not saying we don't pray for these things. But I just want to unlock a different angle on how to pray for these things as well. I'm not belittling them. I often wonder, actually, if where we are called to pray for these things, it's not for us, but it is for him. Uh, sorry, it's not for him, but it is for us. You know, if we think about the temporal things we pray for, where even though he calls us to pray for where we're going to live and the food we're going to eat and where we're going to sleep and all these things, he says, don't babble like a pagan because your father in heaven knows what you need before you ask for it as well. So he calls us to pray for him, but actually it's about us. Those prayers, those prayers aren't like God being like, oh, sorry, look, I didn't realize that you needed those things to survive. Or, oh, you'd like a job. Okay, yeah, cool kind of thing. He, doesn't, he knew that already. It's about our hearts being turned to actually ask him for these things as well. These things, I do not believe, or praying about these things in a way that winds us up towards them and makes these the true desires of our hearts. These are not to be the driving force of our prayer life. And I say that because I don't think that they were for Jesus. So, what are we being encouraged to ask for or to ask the other question that I put there? What do we need? If you've been following along with the Sermon on the Mount uh, or read it in its entirety in one go, that it makes it quite, uh, quite obvious when you do that. You'll realise that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus asks his disciples for things from the difficult all the way through to the impossible. Okay, so the Sermon on the Mount is a call for the life of those, for the followers, for disciples of Jesus. This is the life that we are called to live. Not just like in a kind of like, man, you know, I want like super warriors out of this. But this is a for everyone message. This is for our good and for our freedom. And he calls us to do difficult things. Don't look at someone in anger or anyone in anger. Do not worry. All the way through to impossible things. Whoever breaks the least of one of these commands will be released in the kingdom of heaven. Or be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. You can't do that. That is impossible. He's laid out what the, lay down fo- li- what the life of a laid-down follower of his looks like, and it's impossible. But what is impossible for us is possible for God, because all things are possible for God. And I think that the reason that this passage about our seek and knock comes at this point, and as part of the Sermon on the Mount, is because we need it. We should be stirred as we read through the Sermon on the Mount to recognise that we're going to need prayer to get through this. Man, that is impossible. The disciples got that. As you know, if you read about the disciples, there's that time, I think, he's, is it talking about... I think it's talking about marriage or something like that, which, or, or the rich man, where they're like, well, Jesus, in this case, who amongst us can be saved? Like, they got that. They were like, oh, man, but you can't, if you're saying that is for standard, like, I can't do that. And God is saying, no, no, you can't. But with me, all things are possible. We need prayer to see the Sermon of the Mount happen in our lives, to see that laid down life of a disciple brought to fruit in our lives, which is where we'll find freedom in ourselves. And this is what the Bible asks calls us to ask for. This is what we need. There are other things as well, but just picking on the Sermon on the Mount, we need to ask to be perfect as God in heaven is perfect. We must ask to have lust removed from us, to be free from sinful habits, to be released from anxiety, to shine like a light from a hill, to give generously, to love without judgment, to see clearly your own sin, to ask for the Holy Spirit to fill your hearts so that Christ may dwell in them. What do we want? 
We've got to want to see the standards of the Sermon on the Mount in our own lives. And we need it to see freedom in our life. And it isn't, as I said, this isn't just about freedom. This isn't about standards for super Christians. You know, I'm worried about that this preacher could come across as this preacher is kind of like for Christians at the top of their game. Well, there's no such thing as a Christian at the top of their game, or if they are, then I'm not that. This is an offer for freedom for all of us. That is what the Sermon on the Mount offers us. It offers us a life of freedom and a life of fullness. So, and Howard's kind of made this challenge in one of the previous Sermon on the Mount talks. Why don't we see those things from the Sermon on the Mount values more indelibly reflected in our lives? Why is it that we see this stuff and go, man, that's really high bar. Okay, it can't be for me. Because the challenge of this high bar Sermon on the Mount discipleship life is there, but as part of it, as part of that sermon, Jesus didn't leave them two weeks to stew in their own insecurity. As part of that very same sermon, he offered them the keys to see it happen in their life, which is prayer. Ask for it and you will receive this. And yet we remain spiritually poor. A quote that I have left in, because I prefer him to say it rather than it sound like it's coming from me, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, why is the quality of our Christian living so poor in view of such promises? We are left entirely without excuse. Everything we need is available. Everything we need is available to live this life. So why don't we? Well, very quickly, in the book of James, we're given these same two reasons again, which is about what do we want and what do we need, and do we know those things? James 4 very famous verse on, on, on ask and receive says, you do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So two reasons, and they're basically about what do we want and what do we need again. So taking the reverse order of that, what do we want? When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You know, and I, again, I reflect on my prayer life over the years. Like, there's been so too often, I think, have I spent time praying for things. Sometimes I've couched them in holy terms. But things like jobs or houses or promotions or holidays or clothing or food, stuff that we are allowed to pray for and are not bad in and of themselves. But it's been so that I can, get, I can spend what I get on my pleasures. We're asking for things. What do we want? We're asking for the wrong things with the wrong motives. And secondly, in James, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. And I, I, this is the challenge. This is the end of this section. But this is, this is the crux of it. This, is such a, this has got to be a big challenge to us. There's a Sermon on Mount Life. Man, that's amazing. Do we believe that we should live in it? Oh, I don't know. It sounds like something for super Christians. It's not something for super Christians. It's for all of us. And it brings freedom. It's not just like, yeah, I, maybe I would like to live that super Christian life. But like other days I feel like actually I prefer to like just li- live like a, a normal Christian life and not all of that stuff. This is for the best. If we believe any of it, we believe all of it, right? This is for us. There's, this is, goes back to Lloyd-Jones's, there is no excuse in this. And I wonder, how can we not ask? Is it that, believe, we, believe, is it that we don't believe that we must ask? Or, or do we, is it back to the need thing? Is it that we don't see that we need it? Is it that we have given up on the things that we need? What do we need? We don't know or we don't want to know. And if we don't see the need, if we cannot see the disparity between our inability to meet the commands of Jesus in our own strength as disciples, then we must not be trying to be a disciple in at least some areas of our lives. This is pretty much the same challenge that I, I talked about in, uh, on the Together Night. I'll say that again. If the life of a disciple, if we, if we believe that, if we recognise that Jesus isn't saying this for like 3 or 4% of the people who gathered for the Sermon on the Mount, if he's offering this as a life that we can all live and a life that's better for us, and then he says the way to achieve that life is to ask, seek, and knock, and you will receive it, you will find it, the door will be opened to you. 
if we're not asking and seeking knocking for those things, then it stands to reason that we are not looking to have some of those areas of our lives redeemed and saved in Jesus. So that's my challenge, my little challenge. But if the bar seems high, it is he who has set it there, but has also given us the means to clear it in himself. For challenge it, if you feel convicted by that, great. And, you know, it might lead you to pray, to lead us to, to, be, to, to be challenged to pray some more. If we feel convicted, the very reason for your conviction is that the blessing is, just, is there for you. We just need to ask and we can receive it, okay? So we're not far away. You know, this is one of those ones where you're not far away. With Jesus, you're never that far away from repenting to turning into belief and receiving what it is that, that he has promised us in that challenge. We must fundamentally change our minds and hearts to want what he wants and to need what he tells us we need. I could ask, uh, I, I had to cut so much stuff from this sermon. <clears throat> what, not just for jokes, what, what to ask for. Like, I, I would love to spend more time talking practically about ideas of things that we can ask for, which to be honest is what I did in the last couple of times I talked about it. But what I really want to drive at here is what is the heart for prayer. Nothing is off the table for prayer. Okay? You can still be praying about those things. And what I want to drive at is things that hopefully get to the heart of praying for them in a way that does help us to receive that life of a disciple that he's offered for us as well. So that's what I'm going to aim at. And we need to, for that, we need a fundamental heart change. And I said before that, that the word is really, the word interprets itself. So I just look for a whole load of verses which are really encouraging about asking. And I'm just going to draw out the key. I just dribbled some water down myself, didn't I? Sorry. Anyway, I'm not even wearing a shirt today because Howard's not here. Um, <clears throat> so four, verse, four verses I'm going to talk about. I'm going to pick out the main thing. In Jesus' name, help us to receive these verses as I read them to our hearts. But I'm going to draw out the main things from them as well. So, number one, when we're asking, how do we ask for things in this manner? When we ask to bring glory to God, okay? In our prayers, we must ask to bring glory to God. Okay, so for most of these verses, I'm just going from John, where Jesus, straight from Jesus' mouth again. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing and even greater things because I'm going to the Father. So right there, the Sermon on the Mount life is for you. Okay, he's saying you will do the things that I've done if you have faith in me. So tick, we can see that happen in our lives. And here it is. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. So we get that ask and receive thing. I will do whatever you ask in my name. And our key, key point from this verse, so that the Father may bring glory, uh, so, sorry, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. And he says again, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Now, first of all, he, he, says pray, he says pray in his name. And just quickly, I, I'm sure we know this. That what he's not saying is that if you use the phrase in Jesus' name, your prayer will work. And if you forget to add that, then your prayer won't work. It's not like a magic uh, phrase. What he's saying is we do it in his authority, his way and his spirit. And his way is to bring glory to the Father. Okay, prayers that are going to get answered are to bring glory to the Father. And my, ch- you know, my challenge is, which of my prayers do bring glory to the Father? Because when I was praying for my job for a year, you can pray about your job in a way that brings glory to the Father. Whether I was doing that, I think I was praying so that I could spend on my pleasures. That's what I think like in hindsight, but we can do that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who gets quoted now in our preachers more than Tim Keller, fair play, uh, suggests that as disciples, we can only relate to someone through the lens of Christ. He says, if, you're a Christ, if you are a disciple of Christ... That not the proper way, the only way that we should be relating to one another is through the lens of Christ. And that, comes, that becomes understandable and particularly powerful when you recognise the people in your life who you don't relate to through the lens of Christ. 
I, I wonder, you know, I imagine, how would it be if we did the same with prayer and through all of our prayers, whatever it is we're praying for, whether I'm praying for job, promotion, or I'm praying for his kingdom to come, or whatever it is, if we did that through the lens of only bringing glory to God. This is what he's calling us to do. So ask to bring glory to God. Number two, in your prayers, ask to bear fruit. I, this is amazing. I absolutely love this one. John 15. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, I'll talk a little bit more about remaining in him later. I wish I could spend more time on that. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. So ask and receive again. Jesus repeating this message over and over true, confirming that it is true. This is to my Father's glory that you, may, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The way that Jesus calls disciples, that is you and me, to bring glory to the Father is through answered prayer which surely has to challenge the innate hardness we often find in our hearts about God will not answer my prayers. I prayed for something before and he didn't answer it, so obviously praying prayers of healing isn't for me. Or I, I don't see any difference when I pray. This has got to challenge it. He's not doing it for us. He's not doing it because it's this cool thing I've given you. He's doing it because that is the way that he has chosen to... I mean, why he's chosen us is his grace alone. The way that he's chosen to bring glory to his Father through us is through answered prayers. Okay, And he's done that that we might be fruit-bearing disciples. Fruit-bearing disciples, or FBDs, as I started calling them in my notes. Are all my prayers to be an FBD, a fruit-bearing disciple? If you took all my prayers over a year, and you said, yes, all of these, God says yes, and gave me the answers, would that be the outline of a fruit-bearing disciple? No one's going to answer that. I hope so. Like, I want to be a fruit-bearing, an FBD, in increasing amounts of that I know, but do I know the way to be one? It's to ask, and it will be given. It's there for me. And much more than that, later on in John 15, Jesus says that he chose us. He's chosen us. You know, we know from Colossians that we are chosen, holy, and dearly loved. He's chosen us and appointed us to bear much fruit. It's a guarantee. It is there for us. So ask to bear fruit. Wow, that's a big one. I mean, who, you know, who wouldn't, you think about things that you don't pray about. Think about healings, or think about seeing people come to God, or think about having prophetic words for people at work. Think about God being with you at work and seeing things happen through you or in whatever category it is. You want to see that stuff, right? I want to see that stuff. He's appointed me to be a, a fruit-bearing disciple in that. Number three, this one is, this, yeah. Uh, ask and your joy will be complete. John 16, he says, ask and you'll receive. Uh, you know, like the fourth time he said this, ask and you'll receive. And your joy will be complete, 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 fulfilled. The word that they use for complete here is the same that they use in the New Testament to refer to Old Testament scriptures being fulfilled, which is about as complete as I can possibly think of things. You know, you think about those scriptures that are fulfilled in Jesus. Some of them we're still waiting to see the full fulfillment of. But some of them have been, you know, that he would come, that he would be fully man and fully God and live that perfect life, take all of our sins upon us and be a sacrifice to many, to make for us a way to the Father, that is complete. You can't find anything else in the Bible to add to that. Not that has been done, and that is the kind of completeness we are talking about with our joy. Okay, And what, how do we get that joy completed? To ask and to receive. Which is massive, because I think our tendency is to think like, oh, I can get, he's saying like, if I ask him for stuff to be fruit-bearing, uh, uh, then I'll receive that. And I get that he might be saying that's slightly better than, you know, if he received to me when I asked for something like a new rug for our front room. I can see how that might be better. But it's not just that this is better than that. It is that our joy will be complete. There is nothing that we can add to that. And we are hanging out for this. Because all of our prayers, 
When we're, whatever it is we're praying about, whatever it is we become, not, and not just those who pray, not just Christians, in the world as well, everything we do is inherently, ostensibly for our joy. And non-Christians do that. And, even, and non-Christians would also recognize that, that stuff probably won't fulfill them and satisfy them. And here we're getting the answer to how do it. Ask, and your joy will be complete. And final one, ask your Father in heaven. Who are we asking? Ask your Father in heaven. In, in Ask, Seek, and Knock, in our passage, he says, ask, seek, and knock, and then he rams it home again. Ask, seek, and knock, and you, you, uh, you will receive, you will find, you will have a door open to you. And then to underline it, he gives what on the face of it is a slightly unusual uh, uh, anecdote. He says, um, uh, even though earthly fathers are evil, if they ask for something by one of their children, they won't give them something bad. And I say on the face of it, that's slightly unusual, because you know, I don't think anyone's challenge with prayer is worrying that if you ask God for something, he's going to smack you around the back of the head. But I think why he's talking about that, why he's talking about the relationship is because it's so important for us to remember that this context of us asking to receive is that of a child to a parent. Okay, and if my children ask me for things, nine times out of ten, I won't give it to them. But when I don't give it to them, there is an opportunity there for me to disciple them, to love them as well, to explain why they're not getting this or to explain why it's better for you know, delayed gratification or, or, or whatever it is. And I say the opportunity is there for me as a father because 99 times out of 100, I don't take that opportunity. But he is a good father and he will always do that for us. Even if we pray and we ask for something and we don't receive it, he will use that opportunity for disciple it. Lloyd, Lloyd Jones, again, I think it was, said, thank God he answers my prayers, but thank God he doesn't always answer my prayers. He's a good father and he knows what it is we need. John 15, we talked about earlier, says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. And this is where we need to be. You know, you might feel, as I said, you, you could feel challenged from some of this stuff to up your prayer game. Or you might feel inspired to. But I don't think we see this fundamental change that we need in our hearts to be a different kind of praying church who rebuilds in that way unless we are remaining in him. And I would love to say, I'd love to say more about remaining, but what I am just going to talk about very quickly, really quickly at this stage, is, uh, is a couple of things from seek and knock, and seeking and knocking are part of this. Something on seeking is, um, oh, well, two things quickly about seeking. So one is we seek him, okay? The call is to seek him. If we want to see, if we want to ask of him things and, and receive from him, we must seek him. We must seek Jesus. Amos, God says, seek me and live. And Hosea, he says, earnestly seek his face. When he says seek and you will find, find what? Seek what? Seek who? We're seeking God and he will be found by us. How do we do that? In following his commands, in seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then everything else will be given to us. Psalm 119 says, I seek you with all my heart. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. And you might think, oh, no, I'm just seeking you for like a quick thrill of emotion in my heart. And command sounds like a legalistic other thing. Those things are connected. That's how we seek him. He says, those who love me will obey my commands. So find out from the scripture the good things of God's. And seek him in there. Seek wisdom, Proverbs tells us. Seek help from him, Isaiah says. Seek justice is also in there as well. Seek the prosperity of the city in which you live, we're told in Jeremiah. Seek righteousness and humility, says Zephaniah. Seek me, he says in Jeremiah, with all your heart, and I will be found by you as well. So who do we seek? We are seeking Jesus, and that's who we will find. Number two, seek is an active word. All of these words are quite active. Ask is quite active. I think ask is quite anti-British because it's quite vulnerable. You put yourself out there, and like, what happens if they say no? Or by asking, it shows, but I don't have. That's kind of the point in this context of us asking the Father. Seek is very active. Seek is to try to obtain, to desire, to possess, to strive for, to look for. 
This is the language of discipleship again. This is a call to put down your nets and to follow him. It is reminiscent of the the parable Jesus gives to seek the treasure of great value and sell everything you have to find it. This is the level of seeking he's asking for. This is what he's asking from our prayer life. He's asking that we would be people who put things down that we might seek him and in that that we might find him. What's interesting in in Ask, Seek and Knock is he says, uh, of Ask, he says, everyone who asks will receive But of seek and knock, he says, the one who seeks will find, and the one who knocks will have the door open to him. Now, the way I see it is the promise is there for both. If you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. But it's interesting that the focus switches. Ask everyone who asks, as if if we're all able to ask, we will receive. But to the one who seeks, he will find. To the one who knocks the door, he will have it opened to them as well. Will we be people who ask, but also who seek and knock as well? And a knock, just because of uh, uh, time, I'm just going to say a couple of real quick things on knock. One is, uh, knocking is about being bold and persevering. It's taking seeking to the next level. Ask, seek, and knock is in Luke as well, and there's a few bits about prayer. It's a little section that Jesus teaches on prayer. And it includes the story of the bold neighbour who, who knocks on his neighbour's house at midnight and asks for three loaves of bread because someone has just turned up and he's told that he's given those loaves of bread basically because of his perseverance and because of his boldness and his audacity in asking as well. This is boldness of faith that receives. We need to be bold people to have the door opened by him who in turn, we are told in Revelation, stands at the door and knocks to us as well. And there's a perseverance element to to this as well. Be bold in knocking, but also persevere. And perseverance can mean diligence, it can mean carrying on with things, but it can also mean believing in yourself and believing that we are able to do this when it feels difficult at the beginning as well, like working through that, believing, and we talked about this together night, believing that he who has called us to ask in a way that lays things down must be able to equip us to do that, and he has, he has, but we, we, we want to be on the other side of that promise, we want to be in that promise, we want to be receiving it. Uh, I'll get the bands to come up awkwardly around me and on, whilst I narrow my footprint. There's, um, there's plenty of tips, as I said, that I could give, um, give to you to, to pray, to exercise our prayer muscles. And, you know, do grab me if you want to talk about them earlier. But to be honest, I'm sure that people here have better tips than me and there are more tips in the room. But I think we, wa- we want to be people who, who are asking themselves, how can I ask, seek and knock every day? How can I ask? Is it, you know, is it something like just setting your phone for a five-minute timer every day just to make sure that you are doing some asking, that you are speaking to God? How do we seek? Is it about us laying down some nets in our lives? Is it about thinking about the things that we've been praying about wrongly or things that are distracting us from God? And say, I'm going to, make, I'm going to put these down for a season and start just praying into him or whatever it is, searching him. Read the, read the word prayerfully, maybe. And how do we knock each day? You know, it could be something like, you know, we talked about prophecy earlier. It could be something about praying for prophecy. If you want to be someone who prophesies, and he, he speaks to us all, maybe put aside some time in your week to ask God for words for yourself so that you can build up courage and ask words for others so that you can build up courage to ask for the church and for, uh, for people who don't know him yet as well. Loads of tips that we could do there. But the ultimate thing is that we want to press ourselves into him. We want to believe for more in this. We want to believe for more. And I hope you do feel challenged to pray more and I hope you do feel inspired to pray more. But that the thing I still feel with, that I'm still wrestling with, is I don't, I don't just want to pray more. I don't want to just like have these little bumps where like I pray more because like I feel challenged or because I feel inspired. I want to be fundamentally different about the way I pray. And I long, I long to see this church be a church that prays. And guys, we do pray. 
I don't think God is angry with us as a church. I think he absolutely loves us. I honestly, he loves each and every one of us, and he loves us as a church. This is his church he's building. But, oh, God, I want to be on the other side of some of these promises. So let's be people who ask, seek, and knock. We're going to, um, we're going to focus ourselves on him. That knock, I think. You've got the, the, the revelation slide. I think at the ends. I mentioned this as well. What, what a great word when it comes to knocking. We are knocking and the door will be open to us. But the reality is that we are told that Jesus comes and he knocks at the door and he stands there. And, he op- and if we open the door, he will come in and eat with us and they with him. We can know that when we knock, when we seek, when we push into these promises, we are being met by someone who is even more proactive on the other side in Jesus. And he was so proactive that he did come and fulfill those Old Testament scriptures, live that perfect life and make a way for us to the Father. And we are going to focus our hearts on him now as we seek to remain in him and believe that he can change us from the inside on this as well. Jesus, thank you that you are always the example that we can look to. Lord, I thank you that you did live a life of prayer, that you taught your disciples to live a prayer and they taught their disciples to live a life of prayer. Lord, and we don't want to be found in remiss of that through negligence or through believing that there's this prayer life that isn't for what we're called to, but only people like you or people like your apostles. We believe that that is for all of us, and we want to be changed as a church in that, Lord. So I ask, would you change us? Would you speak to us in our inner beings, and would you remain in there just as we seek to remain in you? For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.